0: everyone and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. I'm your host, Elspeth Callahan, and today's episode, I chat with Laura from the blog Days Like Laura, a female entrepreneur living in Hong Kong, all about zero waste basics in a city of 7 million people. We cover recycling woes and how to cut down on what goes in your recycle bin. We talk community building and making friends with similar values in such a big city. And Laura gets into her love of Chinese food and the rise in vegan options in Hong Kong laura was so lovely to talk to and had so many recommendations at the end so stick around and let's dive into zero waste living in hong kong so can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what life was like before living in hong kong assuming that you lived somewhere else before hong kong i don't know why i assumed that go on.
1: (laughs) My name is Laura. Um, I'm a sustainable lifestyle blogger and entrepreneur here in Hong Kong. Um, I actually started my blog Days Like Laura back in 2014. So I used to work in LA. I was working in brand design and marketing and I was creating a lot of websites and doing you know brand design for a lot of different businesses and I really actually at that time had just become plant-based or vegan and I wanted to share recipes with people because I was really actually I'm not a chef at all I Mm. really found out I was lactose intolerant basically or allergic to dairy products and had no idea what to eat um, (laughs) because I was eating such a heavy dairy-based diet so what happened was I just started really throwing together really simple easy recipes that are very fast and that's what I started sharing on my blog and people loved it and I got really great feedback and I started, again, once I started getting interested in, you know, how does you know our food affect the environment and what we're eating affect the environment and then so on and so forth I naturally started to get interested in different aspects of sustainability and that's, you know, when I started sharing more about ethical fashion and cruelty for beauty and I think, you know, low waste living I think with everything it's like when you start to mm-hmm. care about your impact on the planet you start to really look at different aspects of your lifestyle and say okay what can I do to be better so that's how, that's how it started um, I'm originally from Atlanta from the US and then I moved to Hong Kong in 2015 um, my husband is from Hong Kong so I actually also studied abroad here before I moved here I love Hong Kong so 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 much it's such a unique culture the people here are so resilient um, so strong everyone so much just from being here. And I think also, just people are very hardworking and passionate, you know. And, and in terms of sustainability, it's been really interesting to see. Coming from L.A. where somewhere where everything is green, you know, I mean, people are very conscious and people are very aware. All the businesses have sustainability built into them from the Mm. get go. And then to come somewhere like Hong Kong, where that's not the case, is quite a shock at first, to be honest. But it's changing and it's been really fun to be here and sort of see that evolution over the last couple of years
0: Wow. So you were saying that your experience in L.A. was actually quite eco-friendly, which I guess I don't know much about L.A. either. Probably know as much about L.A. as I know about Hong Kong. So (laughs) Um, I didn't really realize.
1: Yeah. So actually in L.A., so I mean, for example... Like you could go to any restaurant and you could go out to eat and there would be vegan options, you know, oh, okay. and, and not just that, but also there would be reusables. You know, they were making an effort to use less plastic. Um, and this was, you know, pre pre 2015. I mean, I, I was there since 2011 and it was still it's it's not even that people were actively making an effort to be low waste. They're just in general new plastic was bad and we're not using it already you know like even in the U.S. I think the you know charging for plastic bags you know at the grocery store like something as simple as that like they were doing that a long long time ago Mm -hmm. Um, whereas here it was still relatively new and I mean again Hong Kong is a very new city right I mean it just started to pick up and the really be economically developed in the in the 1980s so and saw massive growth and, you know, population growth in um, the 90s and so on. So it was just sort of this thing where the city and the infrastructure was not prepared for the amount of people. Um, and with the amount of people, also the amount of waste being right. produced, yeah. right? So that's sort of how all the issues sort of started was that I don't think that they really built into the foundation of the city simple things like the recycling system etc and then after the problem got really bad they're sort of working backwards to fix it as opposed to preventing it from the beginning Mm -hmm. you know which makes it a lot easier obviously
0: right yeah that was one of my questions actually was what is the infrastructure like for uh, municipal garbage recycling is there municipal compost pickup like that sort of thing like things that probably a lot of people take for granted in their area and probably misuse too like you know nobody's really recycling perfectly Um, right myself included probably and so those things weren't in place they were put in place later um what's that kind of look like
1: basically around in i think the 1986 was around the time when they formed the environmental protection department which is really around the same time that hong kong was growing economically that's when they noticed a huge increase in in the amount of waste being thrown away and the number one problem was was food waste i think in the mid 2000s they started doing the recycling scheme which was of course meant to decrease the amount of waste going to landfill um also because i don't know if you know this but hong kong is actually built on the city itself is actually made up of a lot of reclaimed land actually hong kong island is an actual island and when you know they had huge population growth there wasn't enough physical space for people so they started building more reclaimed land and that was, you know, the the main problem is Hong Kong and Hong Kong is there's just not enough space. Um, Everything yeah. boils down to there's not enough space and that's number one problem. And that's the number reason why the Hong Kong property market is the number one most expensive market in the world is because there's so many people and there's just not enough space. Yeah. So it's the same problem with waste and the land resources being so limited. Of course, you know, there's landfills but in terms of recycling i would say that the government has not done a really good job we Mm. do now of course i would say in the past since i've been here in 2015 they do they have introduced we have recycling bins like for example on the street you can have either there's glass recycling bins we have them in our apartment Mm -hmm. building but a lot of the older buildings do not have that. It's not required for the buildings to have it. So it really is just up to whoever the property developer is to implement it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And because there's a lot of, actually in Hong Kong, like we used to live in a different apartment and there was a really, really old building. I think the building was 30 years old. Or 30 years plus old. And um, that one, we had no recycling. Like it was just when it's an older building, they just don't have the recycling mm-hmm. system. So, and when, and the, also the difference with Hong Kong is when you're talking about buildings of apartments, I mean, these are massive. I think that was the most shocking to me coming from the US is that, I mean, we're talking apartment blocks of thousands of people. You know, wow, it's not just yeah. like an apartment with, ten people or
0: mm-hmm. something.
1: So so it's just the scale and the size of the population is density is massive. So when you're talking about recycling, it you know, you might think, oh, it's not a big deal if one apartment block doesn't have recycling bin, but it adds up, you know, and right. I think that's the problem. So now the landfills are overrun. I think the government is really sort of they're they're starting to push recycling and they have look, they've done a couple of green campaigns and stuff like that on the mtr which is our public transportation system okay. and they've done more to help educate people but at the same time they don't actually recycle and so mm-hmm. it came out in recently i think la- maybe last year or the year before that the recycling from the recycling bins was not actually being recycled ah uh. And so it was this huge, I wouldn't say scandal, but it was for people like me and people in the sustainability space in Hong Kong, we were all kind of up in arms because, you know, we've been, I mean, I make the effort and of course it's small things like, you know, separating your trash Mm -hmm. into plastic, paper, glass and normal garbage, you know, and that might seem like a simple thing, but it's the simple things that I think really add up and make a difference over time. And so to take the time out of your day to, you know, make sure that you're, making the effort to recycle and then to know that all that effort has been put to waste because they're actually just throwing it all in landfill anyways. Yeah. Oh, heartbreaking to me. And so it really is a systematic problem. And and you know, sometimes you feel quite helpless like you know, you're like I don't know what to do about that. And so the main things for me is like, if recycling is not an ideal system in Hong Kong, I just have to look at other aspects of mm-hmm. my lifestyle and see what can I do, you know, to be more low waste. So how can I produce less waste, you know? So making an effort to cook more at home and go to the fresh market, you know, instead of ordering delivery in, mm. you know, and having those takeout containers. That's one thing, you know, or just creating less food waste in general, you know, using my food scraps to make a soup or something like that. So totally, yeah. again, I really just from from a grassroots perspective, tried to just encourage people to make changes and this is sort of my whole philosophy for my blog too is just Sometimes it can be overwhelming if you feel like there's systematic problems that you're facing but just instead of worrying too much about that look inside at your lifestyle at your home and see what can you really do that's manageable and that's realistic for you Um, because every small thing you do I think it really
0: does make a difference that's wonderful and I think that's such a helpful reminder all the time every single day people that like there are going to be a lot of systems that you can't change you can't fight the systemic stuff on your own and so once you get your group and your community you can fight those things but like for now If you're feeling the overwhelm of all of the millions of things you can't control, think about what you can control. So I love that you bring it back down to individual actions again. Like sometimes we can, yeah, just get caught up in the laundry list of things that we have to do to save the world. And it's just overwhelming. So to be able to um, pare it back down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a great point, too, because I think, too, when people do think, like, it's too overwhelming, they're like, well, I'm just not going to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's not a realistic response, right, you know, that's the reason why things have gotten so bad, and that's why I think, you know, because people might think, oh, if I, you know, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all, yeah, and that's really what I try to discourage from people, this all-or-nothing mindset, you know, because it's not all-or-nothing and there's no perfect system there's no perfect sustainable or low impact or zero waste person um, it's the same thing with cancel culture, right? It's it's not effective and it's not going to move us forward. So yeah, again, focusing on, you know, it's okay to just make, make your best effort might look different from someone else's best effort because your lifestyle is different from theirs and that's mm-hmm. okay.
0: Yeah. And we can't worry about comparing each other um, or comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, you just have to... <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's really helpful to just keep your head low and just focus on what you can. Yes. I was wondering if you know anything about how North America used to send recycling materials to China in order to have those be recycled into the raw materials. Once again, paper, plastic, glass, metal, and then was sent back as raw materials and sold in order to manufacture new things. That was put to an end. Oh, I want to say like in this decade, gosh, I don't know the exact date. I could look it up. China no longer accepts recyclable materials from north america to process it which meant that in north america suddenly we had this problem of like having to deal with our own garbage which was embarrassing that we didn't have this like responsibility from the beginning that we thought we could just send it away wherever away was to be dealt with so you're saying that even within hong kong that there's not a strong recycling system you know for some reason i was thinking that maybe china wants to recycle their own stuff but not everyone else's, which I thought was a, a realistic thing to do. But if, yeah, if it's just not even um, happening uh, within Hong Kong or within China in general, do you have thoughts on that? Or if not, I can cut it out.
1: Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I'm not as familiar with this system in China, but in general, I do know it was actually this similar situation in Hong Kong that we were also doing that the Hong Kong system's not perfect, but they were making an effort to do the same thing, sending the materials to China and then having them sent back. But again, when China restricted those imports of waste, they did it to us as well, to Hong Kong people as well. Interesting. Um, so I think the reason why was because and I'm I'm not one hundred percent certain on this, but I'm pretty sure the reason why was because the increase in population in China, and of course, there's so many people there. And when the you know they built all these new cities, and you know China really started to flourish, and the economy has really been growing in the past 10 years, um, even before that. But you've seen a huge uptick in Chinese people traveling and everywhere. And so I think really what happened was they were just, again, producing so much waste themselves that they just said okay we're done accepting your (laughs) your waste because the Mm -hmm. thing is and it's the same with with uh, Chinese businesses as well is now they're pretty uh, they're pretty self-sufficient and with everything going on politically I think they've really you know they've wanted to stay globalized but then you know the U.S. has sort of forced them to close close off and um, I think too I know more a little bit more about manufacturing and that sort of has changed a lot too is that the clothing manufacturing and all the manufacturing that's done in China, just in general, the standards have really really increased in the past couple years. You know, it used to be that you would see something made in China and it would be, you know, really cheap manufacturing but now actually the standards are so high that made in China now is taking on a whole new meaning. Hmm. Um, the, The standards are really high and so people are actually looking to other countries now for cheaper options so I think really what happened was it just financially got too expensive so I think what happened was China was actually charging too much for the import of the waste and that's why
0: um, right yeah
1: i think that was also more more of a recent shift and that's why also in terms of manufacturing a lot of that the cheaper fast fashion manufacturing and stuff like that has moved to um bangladesh thailand and other countries so i think it sort of ties in to that um it's just in general it comes down to cost and they just started increasing the cost of the waste. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And um, one of the issues on our end was that North Americans, weren't, we weren't washing our recycling. And I, I don't know why that's so hard to convince people to do. I think that there's just such a big mystery about what happens when you put something in your recycling bin and you put it out for the week and it's just, it's taken away. Where does it go? What happens to it? Does it get washed there? Why should I be washing it if they can just wash it themselves? So when you're sending materials to the recycling, putting them in your recycling bin, they have to be clean enough that they could be processed immediately and turned into new raw materials in order to um, make new things with if you're sending a glass jar that still has spaghetti sauce in it or something that's going to contaminate the rest of a bin of recycling and it's going to make it because it doesn't get washed when it goes to the recycling uh, depot that's that's basically my point it gets sorted and bailed and sent along to manufacturers who are looking to buy materials it's not uh, getting cleaned first Anyway, so to summarize, we were sending so much dirty recycling. We were sending. Which it
1: wasn't into China, so it wasn't able to actually be recycled. Mm -hmm. And then it creates more of a problem for China. And more waste. Because then they have all this waste that they can't actually turn into the materials. Exactly. And then they're stuck with it.
0: Yeah. I was slightly surprised to hear that hong kong didn't have a recycling system but honestly it's more like don't throw your junk in my backyard my backyard's full sort of mindset um which is probably yeah. why now we're stuck with our own garbage which you know is as it should be we shouldn't be sending our garbage to a different country uh because right. that's the fact that, that was
1: what people thought was the solution was is already
0: embarrassing the
1: fact that we're producing enough waste where we're like we need to send it to another country you yeah. know is already a problem. Yes. but I think also too what happened, and I think this is ties into the boom in fast fashion. I hate to go back to that point, no, it's but fine, yeah. what really happened too is when a lot of the material was being turned into a lot of the waste was being turned into um, recycled materials. What actually happened was that whole process costs money, hmm. right? So that whole process is not uh, is not very cheap. It's actually quite expensive you know the technology to turn the waste into the new materials so what happened too was people started to realize actually you know by the time we implement these recycling systems we send the waste we clean it we have people that have to sort through it we clean it we turn it into the new material that whole process cost a lot more than just using new materials like just Mm -hmm. using new plastic you know Mm -hmm. just buying more plastic or something like that and so that's that's the problem too, is that we have to accept that recycled plastic costs, you know, a lot more than just new plastic. Which is crazy. And so if you're, you're, right. if you're yeah. talking on a small scale, it's fine. But then, you know, it really adds up financially when you're talking about manufacturing millions of items of recycled plastic, right? Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be a lot more expensive than just the company saying, Okay, well we're just gonna use normal plastic new plastic then, you mm-hmm, know. So exactly. I think that's also the problem is that of course no one wants. At the end of the day, no one wants to pay more for it, mm-hmm.
0: you know? <laughs> I love that all of this is just to say that recycling is a band-aid. It is not the answer. Um, and we're seeing that globally then. It's not just in my own little like community in Peterborough that recycling isn't the answer. It's everywhere. We're producing waste faster than we can reproduce it into a new material or something that's usable. And so rather than throwing it away, we need to slow our consumption, number one. And then number two, make things last as long as possible and reuse things as much as possible, particularly things that are known to be single-use or, um, you know, at first glance thought to be single-use uh, materials. Uh, and that's something that right away you can take action individually. So what are some of the resources that you've found in Hong Kong that have helped you to kind of reduce the waste that you have?
1: Yeah, so there actually are, a, and there's a couple of really cool businesses doing oh,
0: great. Sure, uh,
1: new ideas to reduce single-use waste. But one really simple thing is, for example, when you're ordering, you know, food, delivery, especially during COVID, where a lot of people are you know, not eating out, but they're eating at home, of course, on, you know, if you use like a delivery food app, there's the option to not get cutlery. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Another thing that's a big problem in Hong Kong is that the way that people grocery shop here is actually a lot different. And I think it's because we have accessibility to, we call them wet markets, which they're basically like farmers markets, but they're open every day. Um, And that's where most people grocery shop. Um, And so that's where I see a lot of the waste being produced. So what happens is when you go to the wet market, and normally people here do that every day because wet markets are available in every little neighborhood. And so it's quite convenient to go down and get fresh fruits and vegetables or food for the day. And so what happens is they like to package everything in plastic. Hmm. And they're trying to be, it's coming from the desire to be hyper clean, the cleanliness aspect of it. But what they'll do is like they'll have, you know, a vegetable and then they'll put it in plastic and then they'll put that plastic bag in another plastic bag um, to give to you. So you really have to make an effort to just say, I don't want any plastic, which sounds really simple. but But, you know, it's an instinct for them to just package everything in plastic. So I'm very, for me, it's just, again, taking the reusable totes. And taking my veg bags, my veggie bags, you know, so that's one thing that I'm just very strict about. And I'm very always just and people always say, oh, I forget my tote you know, or something like Mm -hmm. that, just leave it in your car, you know, or leave it somewhere where you can't forget it because it's already there. Right. Um, So that's sort of a really simple. Another thing too is, and this is, I I think, again, another simple, simple swap, but during COVID, actually, um, people were obviously going to get coffee and getting single use, Cups, takeaway cups, because what happened for a while was that we weren't actually allowed to use reusable cups, right? Yeah, I don't same know if they did that. Here, same here, and yeah. where you are, but they started banning reusable cups at coffee shops, because of the cleanliness aspect because of COVID, they didn't want to be touching someone else's cup, which is a very viable um very viable reason. So, you know, I said just instead of getting takeout coffee, why don't you just take 10, 15 minutes out of your day and just sit there mm-hmm. and drink your coffee there mm-hmm. instead of getting takeaway coffee. You know, so just taking the time to sort of slow down, enjoy your coffee instead of getting takeout cups. Yeah. Um, so again, that's another really, really simple thing. Um, thankfully, they've started letting us use cups. I personally love the Stojo collapsible silicone cup. Um, and also... Bulk grocery shopping. So, coming from the US, where we had Whole Foods in every city, every suburb, everywhere, um, to Hong Kong in 2015, there was no bulk shopping. Okay. So, That was really, you know, for me, in terms of low waste and, you know, living, that was something that everyone in other parts of the world is a lot easier to go and take your bags, take your glass jars or whatever you use to get your bulk food items. Mm -hmm. But here we didn't have that. Luckily, now there's a couple of shops that I like that have opened up in the past couple of years. Um, There's one called Live Zero. Great okay. name, yeah. literally live zero, zero waste. Um, and so they have... Uh, you know all the bulk shopping they also have bulk beauty products which is really cool nice. um, they have bulk groceries they have lots of cleaning supplies and stuff like that too also bulk um, where you can take you know your existing container and again sometimes and I always have to remind people sometimes just using what you already have can actually be more low waste than going out and buying the zero waste pot like the low waste alternative for example totally yeah like if you don't have if you don't have a reusable cup you know you don't have to go buy a reusable cup you can literally take a coffee mug that you have yeah with you and i know that sounds really silly to some people but you know uh, i feel like a lot of people too think and especially somewhere like hong kong sometimes the eco-friendly or the reusable options it boils down to price and so because a lot of these products these zero waste products are imported from the or they're imported from europe like the cost of them can be a lot more you know Mm -hmm. so that's one complaint is you know well i can't go buy all these reusable things and start you know i don't want to invest in all the buying all these things to use um you know what just just use what you have around the house like you know there really is no excuse i mean you can use a cup as as a You can use a mug as a reusable cup. Um, we have these really cool, um, my husband drinks these Dairy milk uh, bottles. They actually are originally packaged in glass, which is, you know, nice. they're not trying yeah. to be low waste, but it just so happens that they're glass bottles and they're really kind of have a cool retro uh, look to them. And mm-hmm. so every time we drink them, we just keep them and we use them as flower jars, you know, when um, yeah. we drink We reuse those as well you know so you and that's a one dollar milk carton you know milk glass so again it's not about going out of your way to spend a lot of money to Mm -hmm. be low waste it's actually just about thinking what can i use around the house and so i think that's one little shift in people's mindsets but yes we do have now at least we have the bulk options and the low waste options in hong kong which has been great to see
0: that's great have you found that there's uh, much of a community like a like-minded group of people that you've been able to connect with in person not just online
1: definitely 100 percent. that's that's actually why I started my business plant days so I started a new business last year actually because I was got very frustrated because I was as a blogger I was really always online and I was always on Instagram and I was connecting with people digitally but Because I didn't have a traditional work environment, especially in a city like Hong Kong, where it's really rare to find people that work virtually. Everyone is working corporate. And it's really, it's very, very rare to find people who are freelancing or doing what I do. So that makes it all the more alienating when, you know, everyone else is going out for work drinks and they have work colleagues and stuff like that. And um, I didn't have that. And so I felt like, what can I do to, you know, connect with the Hong Kong community more, face to face, real people, you know. Totally. Um, and so that's why I started Plant Days. It actually started as I started hosting gatherings for intimate less than 15 people small gatherings for people interested in sustainable living so I was partnering with local businesses for example plant-based restaurants wellness spas that were doing cool things with you know sustainable pedicures natural pedicures stuff like that so I was partnering with these businesses focused on sustainability and eco-friendly living to do these small intimate gatherings and I was doing it every other month and this was last year before covid and it was great because again I wanted to keep it intimate, so every time less than 15 people, I was able to really talk to people, and it was so, for me, it was amazing to be able, like what you said, to create my own little community of people who were actually interested in living low waste, or interested in mindful, conscious living and sustainability, and so that's sort of how I got more connected with my local community, Um, and I think for anyone, even if you're not doing it, I mean, for me, it was, you know, I wanted to do it for my own reasons, For my business, but even if you're thinking about, you can do that anywhere. You know, you could host a meetup and just say, "Hey, let's go grab food at this new vegan restaurant, or let's go to this cool new coffee shop and talk about X." You know, and so I always had each event was really different. We had you know private chefs, private dining, stuff like that. But everyone had a different focus, and so for me, it was really uh, I wanted it to be more have a socially conscious aspect to these events you know so yes we enjoyed good food yes we enjoyed each other's companies but we also were talking about important issues facing hong kong or facing our lives or just again talking about what we were interested in in terms of sustainability and that's how i started to build my own network here of people interested in sustainable living and so that was great and then fast forward to november Of last year, and that's when I Mm. launched my online store for Plant Days, which I sell all sustainable brands, Hong Kong-based ethical and sustainable brands, and I have my own criteria for how I
0: assess the brands. Tell me about your criteria. That was another
1: way which I was able to really cultivate my own community. Was I was pushing myself out to really get to know the founders of the businesses and the products I carry. I know each and every. Most of them are artisans. A lot of the products are handcrafted or handmade. But I really took the effort to get out there, to get to know them, to get to know their story, their brand story. And again, why are they socially conscious? How are they giving back to the community? And it's, it's really tight-knit in Hong Kong, actually. Once you start to know someone... It's, it's for, for a city of 7 million people, everyone knows everyone. That's it's that funny. sort of community. So, once I started to be really working with a couple of these ethical fashion brands, they're connecting me to someone else and someone else. So, eventually, I was able to really build this awesome community of ethical fashion and natural beauty brands, but also women behind these brands. And wow, what's amazing yeah. here is that they're all women, they're all female owned which I love supporting, you know, I'm a female entrepreneur, so I love supporting other female entrepreneurs. So it just so happened that they're all women-owned. And so I was able to really create this awesome community of brands, but also um, people that were just really passionate about encouraging people to live more ethically, live more low waste. And so that's sort of how I've been able to, create my own community here.
0: That's wonderful. Oh, it's so exciting to hear people building community and being able to find like how to connect with each other, whether it's just by um, organizing meetups, or like you said, connecting with other entrepreneurs, other people who are um, doing amazing things with like minded values. It's so hard for people that are maybe less outgoing um, to be able to like be the one to start the group Um, and so it's important to know that like there's things out there how did you advertise to people and and get people to join your group like where are some places that people can look to find groups like yours
1: ironically I'm actually more of an introvert but I just really pushed myself out there to say if not if not now then when you know I think that's always a good Sort of thing to think about. You know, if not, if I don't push myself now, when will I ever do it? So that was for me something that really drove me. But in terms of resources and places to find people, so I actually find that two things. So, number one, Instagram. And Mm -hmm. I know that there are so many critics of Instagram for other reasons, but I still find that if you're following the people that are similar, have similar interests to you. Um, it's a great way to connect with people. Um, mm-hmm. I still believe in the platform as a force for a community and for good. It is how you, with everything. It's how you you utilize the platform, right? Totally. So Yeah. It's not necessarily the platform itself, but it's how you use it. So I really was literally just would Instagram DM people that hey, you know, I love what you're doing in sustainability. I love what you're doing with your fashion brand. Ethical fashion brand, etc. Do you want to meet up for a coffee, you know? And, and of course, maybe 60, 70% of the time, or, you know, so you might not hear back, but you know, you do hear back from people. And so I really, you know, I, I would just, uh, it's a volume play, you know, you just put yourself out there and eventually, mm. you know, you're going to start to get some responses. So Instagram is one great, great way to do that. Um, another thing is Facebook. So we have, I know Facebook events, but that's really a simple way to find mm-hmm. other people that you know like what you like I per se don't really go to networking events but what I do do is that I would go to for example if there's like a handmade market or a sustainability oh, nice. marketplace yeah. which we had a couple of cool events like meet the makers you know or something like that where it's a bunch of eco brands I started to go to these events and of course shop the products but I would actually just get people's business cards you You know, and email them. Totally. Yeah. You know, say I really like what you're doing. It probably sounds really silly because it's very simple and grassroots, but actually, um, and even even I would walk around to like local vintage stores and stuff like that. And if I'm in a business, I like what they're doing, I like their shop, etc. I would just get their business card and I would email them and you would be surprised at the amount of responses you actually get.
0: Yeah. You know, I
1: think the reason why people don't know where to begin is that you know, it's just that fear of putting yourself out there, which I totally understand. But you'd be surprised if you give people the chance, the amount of people who are actually open to taking that time to talk to you. And I mean, even for me too, there's been some times where I've, you know, even brands that I've liked that I've emailed on, you know, just through their website, and then ended up. Now we have Zoom, and you know, and I've been able to jump on a call with them, you know, to talk about sustainability or how can I be involved in what they're doing you know
0: Amazing, so I yeah.
1: think in, and it's just also about being open-minded like if you're you know it's it's sort of go into it not expecting anything and you'd be surprised at what you can do for people and what they can do for you in return
0: yeah. And I love the human aspect of it too, where you're not just reaching out. In, in some cases, you're actually able to reach out to people and say, let's meet in person. So if you're maybe following somebody on Instagram or connecting with groups in face on Facebook um, that share your values, to be able to say, I would love to meet in person and take it offline and and try to build that community where you are. I think that that is, is great because then you have a You have a friend. (laughs) I feel that way about my friend Teresa, who's been on this podcast quite a bit, where we met through a Facebook group that was uh, a local plastic-free Bro group. And she was posting a lot and I was posting a lot. And then we were like, hey we should we should meet up sometime and we did and it felt like like a blind date like it felt really weird to be like (laughs) will you be my friend but it was awesome it was so important and now we have so much other stuff in common but we have our zero waste living in common and that is yeah crazy valuable to like have a friend who's doing the same thing as you you don't feel like you're a weirdo anymore or you're not the only weirdo at least
1: I know and I I totally agree and now with the digital world I mean you really feel like it's just easy to always be online Mm -hmm. you know I think we're quite spoiled in that sense like our generation now everything is just social media and everything's online and that was me last year I was in that position and I was craving that human connection Mm -hmm. um and yeah you'd be surprised how much you share in common and then yeah you have new friends and it's just it's a domino effect I think you share your passion and if you put yourself out there you're always going to find someone that's going to be attracted to that you know like I find that the more I share about sustainability the more I sort of just naturally attract people interested in the same thing. Totally. Yeah. If
0: that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm finding that too, now that um, I've started work at sustain. So I've talked about that store quite a bit on this podcast as well. The people that, a store like Sustain. So it's a zero waste lifestyle store, if you want to call it, or a low waste lifestyle. And uh, they sell all the products that are like classically zero waste, but they also have some amazing stuff that um, is helping you to try and rethink a lot of single use things. That aside, it has become this place where it's a beacon right you see it and you're like "Hmm, zero waste that's something that I've heard about I would like to learn more I'm gonna approach that girl named Laura that I met because she's talking about it all the time or I'm going to go into that store that I saw open up um, and learn a little bit more about it because I'm I'm just not sure yet I'm still learning and so it attracts people and then you just get to talk about it all the time and it's awesome of course (laughs) You mentioned living a vegan lifestyle. How easy has that been in Hong Kong? I mean, I don't know too much about Chinese food, but is it simple to live a vegan lifestyle?
1: I love Chinese food. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> Can um, you eat vegan okay, Chinese so, food? Is, there a, is that such a thing?
1: Again, it's changed a lot since I've been here the past five years. But when I first moved here, there were no vegan options. It was so difficult. Probably like three years ago or so, there was a couple of vegan restaurants that opened up. And they're really the ones that were helping educate people on, you know, what is vegan food. People in Hong Kong love food.
0: Like oh, yeah. Point
1: blank, love food. And I That's mean, awesome. I know every culture has its own group of foodies, but. Hong Kong people are so proud of it's it's an it's a fundamental part of their culture is wow, food. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason too is that you know a lot of the traditional dishes have meat and stuff like that. But at the same time, I started to find little tricks of how to vegan how to veganize anything. Right. Because the good thing is Chinese restaurants, okay, in Hong Kong, in Asia. In general, in the traditional Chinese diet, they don't eat dairy products at all. So that makes it really easy. (laughs) So basically, if you as long as you get like rice, vegetables, noodles, etc, you can pretty much get vegetarian food anywhere right vegan food anywhere and that's what i started to do when i you know when before there were even vegan restaurants like i would go to Chong Chong tang which is a local hong kong it's like a sort of a, the, the hong kong version of a diner how it would be like a diner in, in the sure. u.s or canada um well i guess i don't know if canada has diners oh but we anyway. totally
0: have diners <laughs> um <laughs> we're just it's the a u.s China,
1: it's a hong kong <laughs> version of a diner and so you know you could get Uh, vegetarian fried rice uh, soy sauce fried noodles bok choy or a Chinese vegetable that would all be naturally be vegan because thank goodness they don't cook with butter they don't cook with dairy nothing has cheese in it so you're pretty safe Um, and a friend of mine actually when I first moved here I'll never forget because she sent me a list and it was like no fish sauce no egg no whatever and it was translated into
0: Chinese oh that's nice
1: (laughs) So I literally would just have that on my phone, and this sounds so silly, but I had that on my phone, and she's like, just show it to the waiter at the restaurant, and they'll be like, okay. So I would just have that little list on my phone, and everywhere I went, I would show it to people when I was ordering food. So that's sort of how I started. Thankfully, it got a lot easier in the past couple years. There have been some awesome plant-based restaurants that have opened up, Mm -hmm. Um, and now what happened too was there's been a huge shift. So there's this company called Green Monday and green common and green monday is their organization that really pushes for plant-based food and vegan food and they are a chinese-owned company well a hong kong company but they do all their marketing in chinese and english so once they started really doing they did a lot like the whole point was to promote the vegan lifestyle and plant-based food in asia so they started doing All these marketing campaigns, talking about it, you know, with uh, really big companies in Hong Kong um, to promote and working with a lot of the big corporations to promote plant-based food and that's when I really saw a shift because then it was everywhere wow. and then people at least were educated and aware of what it was so Great. then you started to see trickle down you know restaurants started to have vegan options now there's more there's awesome now there's awesome vegan restaurants here that are solely vegetarian or solely vegan so it's been a wall. it's been sort of a slow process but now I think even global globally the the vegan food industry has really you know blown up so when we got i think a big shift was when we got beyond meat you know and i I know they've had these alternatives in the u.s for so long but when we got beyond meat and impossible meat and then oatly i'm not sure if you're, uh, you're familiar with the company oatly but when they decided to expand into hong kong and asia is when it really sort of, I saw this really big shift wow. um, and it became so easy because these big companies were partnering with the everyday restaurants. So here's the thing about Hong Kong people. Mm-hmm. They do not like being told what to do. They do not like being told what you're doing isn't good or what you're doing is wrong. Totally. Except as Nobody most likes people that. Don't like being told what to do, right. but it's more on the aspect of, you know, you can't go around telling people to change Something, especially something they're so passionate about, like food. So what happened was a lot of these big companies started partnering with restaurants like, for example, Starbucks. And I know this sounds so simple, but when Starbucks started to have dairy-free milk, like oat milk, almond milk, soy milk. Then it became so much easier, you know, because once the, these big restaurants start doing it, it's natural that, like, everyone sort of takes note and at least is aware and knows, you know, what is dairy-free milk, what is, right, you know, yeah. the education aspect of it. So then we got, like, Triple O's, started doing the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger. And once all these sort of, like, widely accessible places, like the big brands, started having vegan options, it, then it became of course a lot easier because you don't have to like I I think I used to only be able to go to like one or two restaurants to get vegan food and now it's like 20 plus places that's great um yeah so that's sort of yeah so now I would say it's definitely really easy but it did not start out that way Uh, um but and and I think it's great again for people who aren't vegan but are interested in trying out vegan food places like Green Common they actually invented their own Pork, uh, like alternative, which is called Omni Pork, and that's, you know, Chinese people love pork. It's one of oh, actually yeah. the biggest. I mean,
0: I love pork.
1: Uh, uh, in terms of meat consumption, I think it's the number one. Is pork. So for them to have an alternative that's local, you know, developed in Hong Kong, and they just started pushing it at all the normal restaurants to have this vegan alternative, and you know, I think that's the number one best thing you can do is you don't have to be vegan but if you if it's widely accessible then you're gonna have normal people other people trying to eat Having these vegan options, you know, as long as they're more readily available, then people could have that, you know, once a week or twice a week, etc. Oh, yeah, um, and that's better than one percent of people being completely vegan. Right. So it's been really cool to see that shift recently.
0: That's great. Yeah, and I love that reminder that you don't have to be vegan every day, but to reduce. Uh, Your consumption of animal products is a really valuable step in the right direction. Who is inspiring you lately in the low-waste community, in the vegan community, in the Hong Kong community? Who would you like to share with our listeners?
1: So there are a couple organizations. One I've already mentioned, but Green Common is a great organization. Green Monday actually really does a great job of promoting eco-friendly and not just plant-based food but also eco-friendly low-waste living and I think if you're especially if any of the listeners are you know like read Chinese or are Chinese they have a lot of their uh, educational resources in Chinese as well as English so I find their resources to be really really great. That's awesome. Also, I love Live Zero is a great organization that, again, does the bulk grocery shopping, but they have a lot of uh, community events and stuff like that, but also... Redress is an amazing, amazing company in Hong Kong. They are a NGO that is focused on sustainable fashion and reducing waste in the fashion industry. And what's great, uh, what I love that they've been doing is they've been doing collection boxes all over Hong Kong uh, where you can donate your used clothes. And of course, Talking about waste, fashion waste is number one. One of the most polluting industries, uh, right up up there with food waste. Mm -hmm. Um, But to see to see them putting these collection boxes out and to you know for people to donate their clothes and having them available everywhere is great they also do promote a circular economy you know so when we're talking about the fashion economy you know instead of you thinking about the lifespan of your clothing and what you can do to sort of extend that lifespan and reduce the cycle of fast fashion of single-use clothing I think that's a great organization as well and they have a lot of community events as well as online resources and they host a lot of talks and panels and stuff like that so that's another one that it that's specifically in hong kong that i love other things that i'd love to point out if people don't already have these apps i love good on you oh, it's a yeah. it's an app that really has all uh, fashion brands that are kind on the planet and kind on people and kind on animals and they tell you they have a really great rating system. I go on their website if I'm looking for, you know, certain types of products or they do have an app as well. And I just started work using a new app called Good Human which mm. is similar. It actually instead of just sharing products, they also share It's sort of like you have a feed where you have all these articles about sustainable living and low waste living and fashion and beauty and stuff like
0: that. So for me,
1: that's been um, a great resource. And then of course, podcasts, we have you. I love this podcast. Uh, (laughs) In terms of bloggers, I like Trashes for Tossers. She's great. She shares a lot of really cool, simple swaps that you can make and zero waste home and zero waste chef are a couple of other ones that i follow oh um And of course, if you just go on Netflix now, I think a lot of people, if you're still at home, you know, as we should be on your own, there's a lot of great documentaries that you can watch on Netflix
0: as well. Thank you for all of those recommendations. Those are really, really awesome. And I'll put them all in the show notes for people to check out. Was there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap things up?
1: I probably will just link people with the idea that you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I think that's something with anyone who is very passionate about sustainable living or low waste living is you always feel like you're climbing an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? So again, you know, we're all in the same boat. There's no, I said this before, but there's no perfect form of sustainability. Yeah. You know, there's no perfect form of being zero waste so again just to try your best to do your best to make little manageable realistic lifestyle changes that you can stick with long term i think is the most effective way to go about it and to not put that pressure sometimes you feel down on yourself oh I forgot my tote or I forgot my reusable cup it's okay you know we're all trying our best again so it's just about the fact that you're already making that conscious choice to make an effort to be zero waste you're already doing a good job
0: Thank you. That's so lovely, and thank you so much for being on the podcast today, and for telling us all about your work that you're doing, as well as what life is like in Hong Kong for anybody who hasn't been to Hong Kong or doesn't currently live there. It's an eye opener. That's awesome. Um, I love hearing about uh, what's happening all around the world, and I really appreciate hearing about it from you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more from Laura, you can find her at dayslikelaura.com or at plantdays.com. Her social handles, etc., be in the show notes as well as her recommendations for those who inspire her if you liked today's episode you'd probably also enjoy episode 73 more plants less waste and episode 93 slow authentic travel you can find all of those and more in our archives wherever you get your podcasts Thanks again to everyone who has supported this show in some capacity, be it listening devotedly, leaving ratings and reviews, or buying me a virtual cup of coffee on coffee.com slash housewithkallian. It is all so appreciated. This show really is community-driven, and I'm grateful for your support and love to hear from you. Send me an email at practicallyzerowaste at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at practicallyzerowastepod. It's so fun to hear what you think and hear how you're doing wherever you are in the world. That's all from me this week. Enjoy some delicious Chinese food, Oh, and check out Random Acts of Green this week for some final tips on how to have a low-waste Halloween if you know what that weird holiday is in your part of the world. I've always thought it was a weird one, but lots of people like it, so head to the Random Acts of Green website for their Halloween tips. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Have a great week, everyone, and talk to you soon.